behind the stage uh, getting things done. All right, so with that, I need, um, what, I need the mic, that's what I need. Uh, I need a runner. Daniel, can I ask you to be my runner today? Um, there's a microphone right down there uh, on the chair. And if you, if, if you have an update that you'd like to give or a prayer request uh, that you'd like to share, uh, just raise your hand and then tell us who you are. Uh, Kara's going to give us an example of how that works. I just made her nervous doing that. And... Uh, and then once we're done sharing, I'm going to ask you to just kind of group up with one another and pray for these requests. So really listen uh, to what's being shared here. Go ahead, Kara. Yeah, turn it on. Hey, the sound guy's right there, so. Good thing I sat behind him. So I'm Kara, and um, I just have a couple of prayer requests and then a praise. Um, I am asking for prayers for, this is a big ask, so, um, from God, to provide a indoor place so that the showers for hope can be inside and people can go work in it, even in the inclement weather, or even when it's 101 degrees. So, <laughs> that's one of my prayer requests. Um, another is that, I guess, that I could be held accountable we're making some goals for Family Promise. I think that I stuck, so I didn't know what to do. So I have to make a goal so I know what to do next. And then my praise is, um, so this morning, I've been reading a book, but this morning I, I heard God talk to me, and I'm generally a burning bush person. you got to, like, throw this burning bush up in front of me, and then I'm like, Oh, okay, that's what you want me to do. So, um, so today I, I heard God talk to me, so that was amazing. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so like Ted's working on a ministry for Showered with Hope. That's something we've been working on for quite some time, but the cold, cold winter that we've been having here is kind of making that difficult. So let's pray that God will open up a shop someplace where we can get that thing indoors. And then Kara's working on a ministry uh, to help uh, families transition together out of homelessness and into more stability. And so just pray that God will continue to lead her uh, in that. All right. Any others? Hi, it's going to be a little bit longer <laughs> here. So I just want to praise Lord for those. Uh, my family arrived last Thursday night, and uh, my family is my oldest sister, Lena, or Alona, and my youngest sister, Luba, and um, my niece, Nastya, her daughter. So um, I'm just, I'm not sure if how <laughs> much time I have, so I talked to Pastor even that they can share how they was traveling mostly we you know how they get from ukraine so um my youngest sister from mariupol uh she um when the war started so she uh left on uh, last train that is was going from that city uh and then basically bought her tickets about five minutes uh before departure and was running to the car with her two cats 
Unfortunately, her husband uh, refused to leave the town, uh, so she went by herself um, to Dnieper city where my sister uh, Alona lived and my other brother. Um, they was there for a while, for about months or so more, uh, and then uh, when they started getting shootings around and there was sirens, there was like a few times per day they was going hiding between walls and between flats in the hallway. So they finally decided, I was of course begging <laughs> every one of them, just go, go, and then pray. we prayed pray a lot. So they, um, she went with my other niece first. Uh, they took a train to, uh, we thought they're going to Poland. Uh, so but they saw a lot of people, like thousand people to in the stations. Uh, my niece has a boy, a nine years old boy. So when they went to the station, there was already a thousand people and it was long line. So we didn't know if they can even get into the train. So, but somebody saw the boy and they pulled out them from the line and get them to the train. So we took the train, it was riding to toward the Poland didn't get up over there, so starting going further, the train was in the dark, uh, driving with no lights and <clears throat> slow, no no connections. So the kind of so, and there was when the um, train was going, there was like bombing the city, Vinitsa, just shortly before that. So it was very scary. So I was trying to get connection in Poland, um, so they can settle in there, but then. They went to um, border of Calgary, so we was trying to find somebody in Calgary, and then um, decided that they couldn't take the train to Calgary. So by the time, and they took train that it goes through Slovakia to Czech Republic. So um, we thought that they're going to get up in Slovakia. So trying to find somebody in there, <laughs> but they didn't. Uh, the train didn't stop, and they went to. I guess the God had something different in the mind. So they went all uh, to Czech Republic and shortly, but they also, they settled in the city of Most and in the apartment building. Uh, those two get uh, about a week or two later and they went to the Czech Republic and they got them to the same city, same building. <laughs> so, um, and some other family uh, also was traveling and somehow they got end up uh, in the same city and most of them in the same apartment. So right now they are in there here in Boxelder uh, by the Vatiki apartment we got for them. Um, so we, we was helping with uh, you guys with, with furniture and stuff. So. Uh, prayers is to get them uh, legalized in here and get the uh, jobs so they can continue. Okay, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thank you, Tatiana. Um, so yeah, I mean, here suddenly here we are in little Podunk, South Dakota, Rapid City, Common Ground Church, uh, suddenly engaged with something that's been going on for almost a year now uh, that that invasion started. And, uh, and it's still going on, and people are being uprooted. Uh, the cities have been devastated, flattened, basically, 
And uh, now uh, here we are in the position to receive uh, people who are uh, fleeing this situation. So we are very grateful that God guided and oversaw uh, all your family's travels to get you here. Welcome to Rapid City. Welcome to Common Ground. Um, we're here to do whatever we can uh, during this time. And uh, there's other family still in the midst of transitioning. So please continue to pray for uh, the Ukrainian refugees. Uh, pray for that whole situation that's going over there. Pray that God will intervene and that this uh, this devastating war can be brought to an end and uh, peace can be established somehow. So that's a pretty big ask there. Uh, a lot of things to be praying for. And again, encourage you to uh, visit with Tatiana and learn more about this, this whole situation. Okay? Anything else that uh, need an update or prayer request? I'm Mark and my wife Carol. Uh, several of you helped with us moving into our new house a while back, and uh, we have wanted to use it for ministry. Tomorrow, we're pulling together other retirees uh, in our community uh, for kind of an activity group, uh, also Bible study, and I'm not sure how it's going to look. It's very uh, open-ended at this point, and I don't know how many people will show up tomorrow, but we want to start an ongoing group that would be um, focusing on those who are retired. And then, so that'll be tomorrow. First of March, I'm also pulling together a group of officers from uh, Ellsworth Air Force Base to do kind of an officer Christian fellowship type of ministry. Uh, and so just be praying for both of those things that God would would work to bring people together and uh, begin to grow his church in Box Elder. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah, one of the things we believe in here at Common Ground is going beyond our four walls or well, there's more than four. <laughs> but going on these, uh, beyond these walls and uh, going and reaching out to people. So there's a great example of that being done. Pray for God's blessing on that work and that ministry. Okay. Uh, Isaac. Uh, just an update on my situation. I got a lot of responses after last week. Uh, got some stuff figured out. Uh, I think I'll make it through the next few months, so that should be good. I did get a possible another roommate, and the one that hasn't moved in yet is planning to move in, so that's a lot more settled, which is a lot better for stress. So, yeah. All right, good, Just good. Prayer, praise for that. So. Okay, that was pretty fast action happening there. Yeah, reaching out is great. <laughs> All righty. Hello, I'm Dayton. Dane's uh, father is it's uncertain, but her, he's 97 years old. He's been experiencing a lot of shortness of breath, racing heart rate lately, and just don't know if this is the end or not. And Eileen's very torn about whether she should stay or go or what's the right thing to do. So just prayer for wisdom and direction in that. I think she's currently in the car talking to her dad or brother or sister or something, but... Uh, I want to make you aware of that. Okay. 
All right. So yeah, pray for Dayton and Eileen, especially uh, as her father is uh, yeah failing in health. Uh, and it's always a little, I mean, he's kind of a tough, stubborn guy, so he probably will endure, but it's always hard to know exactly what to do in these times. So please uh, pray for them in this difficult situation. Okay? All right, up here. Okay. I'm Katie. Um, I just want to ask for a prayer for my youngest sister, Brenna. She, I don't know, over the last, like, few years has had a lot of pretty significant mental health struggles, and I know that they don't always have to come from something specific, but it's just, like, it's hard to understand what, like, I don't know, I guess, like, where they come from, and so then I guess how to help, too, um, but then through all of that, she's just kind of decided that God is, there's no way he's real, she believes in God, but she's, like, there's just no way he can be good, there's no way um, that he can love people, um, or kind of, like, why do bad things happen to good people, that sort of a thing. Right. Um, and so just prayers, I mean, she's very open to, like, anything I have to say, but not necessarily, like, she won't receive it, but she'll hear it. She's like, you know what I mean? Like, she's not, she doesn't get mad if I try to talk to her about it. Um, but she just asked me the other day if we could read through the screw tape letters together, and I thought that was really, like, kind of a big step for her. Um, she's a big reader, so anyway, just prayers that she would, um, that her heart would be open, and that um, she would just come to know the Lord, and that once that happens, all of those hard questions, I think, kind of fall into place, or at least you can have peace with them. That makes sense. So, my youngest sister, Brenna. Brenna, absolutely. Okay, pray for Brenna and for her heart uh, to see the goodness of God, uh, to have that just kind of cleared away, to perceive what she hasn't been able to perceive. Okay, um, it looks like... The, the... I'll, I'll jump in okay. real quick. Okay, uh, you may have noticed Emma's pregnant. Um, really? very, very pregnant, yeah. So we're in the home stretch here. Uh, if you could pray for a safe delivery that would go well for Emma and the upcoming Crossman baby, that would be great. Um, there's a lot of moving parts here in 2023 for us Crossmans. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I got accepted into school in Minnesota, so we'll be moving there to the Twin Cities in about mid-May, um, right as we become new parents. So. It's going to be a busy year, um, so prayers for um, just us to find a structure and a routine for our marriage and parenting and school and find a place to live out there and all the above. So kind of an umbrella prayer would be great. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just for yeah, lots of moving parts happening here. Birth, starting school, moving, selling a house, uh, all that sort of things. Apparently God has ordained that we can't have two Crossman babies in the same place at the same time. And if you know the Crossman history, that's probably a good move. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there are nods going on there. So, all right, thank you, Daniel, for sharing that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, with end of life happening and things like that, but there's still birth happening, and lots of those have, uh, are occurring now. And uh, so just be praying for all these new children about to enter the world, those that have just come into the world. Man, we are blessed to be able to be the church that we are and to have these little little uh, wee beasties running around here uh, joining us. All right, uh, this one I'm going to ask you to do, if you would just group up with a few people um, and just pray for these requests, especially if these folks are sitting in your section, uh, that you specifically pray for them. But pray for one another as you group up, and, uh, and let's just go before the throne of God in prayer. And after a few minutes, I will close us 
uh, in prayer. Let me lead you into it now, and then I'll let you get going. Father, uh, we come now in the name of Jesus Christ because we have no other name or, or no other means by which we can approach your throne. Thank you for opening the way to us, and thank you, Lord, that you love us, and thank you that you hear our prayers. Now, Lord, we ask that uh, indeed you would hear the prayers that are about to be lifted up and that you would open our eyes to perceive and to see how your hand is moving in those things to accomplish your will. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, go ahead and group up and uh, take some time to pray with one another.
Heavenly Father, as we uh, close this time, uh, we pray, Lord, that we would uh, remember that we should pray without ceasing, that we would pray with continuance. Thank you, Lord, that we may cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And uh, Lord, from, uh, from new life coming into this world all the way to um, people who are coming to the end of their days, Lord, you watch over us uh, each and every minute, each and every second of those days. And Lord, we're grateful for that. Help us to be uh, aware of that. Um, Lord, as much is happening and much is moving in our lives, much is changing in our lives that sometimes we're not ready for. And sometimes that change isn't welcome. Uh, we just look to you as our constant, as the anchor of our soul to hold us at peace and to know that you have our well-being uh, in every aspect, our emotional, our mental, our physical, and most especially our spiritual well-being. Thank you, Lord, that you have secured salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if, 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 we, if you've done that for us, then there's nothing too small uh, or nothing too big in our lives that, um, that you cannot handle. So we come to you knowing that nothing is possible apart from you. We come to you in faith knowing that only in faith can we be pleasing to you. And we come again to you in the name of Jesus Christ because there's no other name by which man can be saved. And we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'll give you a few minutes to uh, get back in your spot. Uh, I am remaining up here today because Evan is down with the kids uh, today. He's getting a lesson from our, our, our wee ones, and uh, he's working really hard to put together a teaching uh, package for the youngest uh, of our body. So if you think about our pastor uh, and uh, the, the crew that's been down there working with our kids during this time, uh, please pray for them as they minister uh, to our youngsters that we have here in the church. Okay, so um, Evan introduced this series last week which he calls Bibli Obscura, and uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous about this series because it's going to take us into parts of the passage, that, or parts of the Bible that are, might be a little easy for us to uh, skip or to ignore, or maybe even be a little bit, I can't believe that's in the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of that uh, in there, and we're going to just do our best to show you how the whole counsel of Scripture uh, was not written to us, but written for us, so that we might know how we can uh, walk with God. So we're going to get right into it. I'm going to start with a passage, First Chronicles chapter 13. If you have your devices or your Bibles, I encourage you to go to First Chronicles chapter 13. Here's a little tidbit about Chronicles. Uh, if you read through the Bible narrative, and if you're reading it in order, uh, you'll notice that First Chronicles kind of replays what happens in First and Second Samuel. And then Second Chronicles kind of replays what happens in uh, First and Second Kings. Okay, uh, and what it's doing is it's reinforcing what we've already read, but it's also adding some information that maybe we didn't have in in those first books. And uh, so, if any of you have ever read the Lord of the Rings, you know that some of the coolest stuff in the Lord of the Rings is in the the appendices. Right, And so that's kind of what the First Chronicles and Second Chronicles are. They're sort of an addendum appendices to uh, what we already have here. And uh, I guess if there were a title for this message, it would probably be Handle with Care. 
Okay? Handle with care. And uh, that's the attitude we should have in every aspect of our walk with God. So 1 Chronicles chapter 13, beginning with verse, uh, uh, verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in the land of Israel, as well as to the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasture land, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Now, I'm just going to pause there with that, uh, that part here. David has just become king, okay? And so he's looking for things to do. That's what a king ought to do. And he's looking for good things to do. And one of the things that occurs to David is that the Ark of the Covenant, okay, that, that incredible box uh, that contained the jar of manna and the Ten Commandments and Aaron's staff that blossomed during the Exodus, and that was really not just its contents, but the fact that that was where God dwelt in the midst of his people. It was right over the Ark of the Covenant. And when Saul was king, the Philistines managed to get a hold of the Ark of the Covenant, and they threw it on an ox cart and hauled it off. And then it was kind of forgotten. And David says, we can't let that go. We, we need to go back, and, and we need to get that. We've conquered those Philistines, and, and now we need to, to, to bring that back here because that's a part of who we are. It's a part of our identity as Israel. So, hey, everybody, does that sound good to you? And everybody says, sounds good to us. Now, here's the thing that is real easy to miss in this passage is David says, if it seems good to you and if it's from God, it probably should have been, if God so wills, it doesn't matter whether we think it's good or not. Okay? So that's kind of where we, what we saw right there in that passage. Let's move on, beginning with verse 5. So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebaho. Oh boy, I'm in trouble because look at those names. Okay, I'm just going to fake it. Uh, to Lebohamoth, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Baalah, that is, to Kiriath-Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of the God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were rejoicing before God with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. So here we go. They, they went. They got it. Okay, and now they're bringing it back, and they're having this, this worship parade as they do it. It's amazing. This is just cool. It's like, man, is, is this like the revival of Ashbury or something that's happening here? But then we get to verse 9. And when they came to the threshing floor of Shiddon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down, because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, and he said, How can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, 
but took it aside to the house of Obedidam the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obedidam in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obedidam and all that he had. Okay, that's weird. That's just really weird stuff. And uh, if, if you're like me, the first time I read that, I kind of responded the same way David did. Did you notice his two responses towards God? First, he was angry, and then he was afraid. And then he was basically paralyzed. I can't do this. I just, I can't do this. And sometimes when we read scriptures like this and these obscure things, these stories that are just strange and that we might say, God, I don't understand. Wasn't Isaiah doing a good thing? Wasn't David doing a good thing? And in the midst of all this good thing, he's just out there to keep the, the, the ark from walking on the cart and boom, he's dead. What? <laughs> and, and, and it's not the ark that's at fault. Right, um, and uh, because when the ark was put in Obedidom's house, which I just love saying that guy's name by the way, Obedidom, um, it, you should you should name your kid Obed. No, I'm <laughs> 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 um, anyway, it, while I was in his house, he, he was blessed by this. So that might leave us to doing what we do a lot of times when we read the Bible to kind of scratch our heads and go, "What is going on here? What, what am I supposed to?" am I supposed to get out of this? All right? So I said the, the title of this message, and I don't know where the slides went. Uh, my, my thing is blank, but um, uh, is Handle with Care. So I'm just going to work without the slides. Here we go. Uh, so, oh, there we go. Uh, so there's this nice little pie chart. Um, uh, we need to be careful what we do with the Bible because we often make the error, it's a very common error, to come to the Bible thinking that it's God's owner manual for us. And all we have to do is refer to it, and we'll find answers for any given situation that we have in life, because that's what God's doing. He's giving us precise instructions in exactly what to do. And, and then we treat the Bible as it's just a list of a bunch of do's and a, and a bunch of don'ts. And like I said, that's, a, that, that's an error. And here's why. Because 43% of the Bible, that's the big blue part on your pie chart, is, is narrative. It's story. Okay? It's not instruction. It's not directions for how to live your life. It's here's what's been going on. 24% of the Bible is speeches and sermons, and that's the orange part there, the darker orange part there. And, and those are often couched within the narrative. And then 33% of the Bible is poems, songs, and, and wisdom literature, wise sayings, and, and that kind of thing. And that's the big yellow part of that pie. So we basically have to, if you take one of the dividing lines in between any one of those three aspects, um, that, that line is the portion of the Bible that is God's instructions for all people for all time. Less than 1% of the Bible. So, if I'm going to the Bible saying, all right, God, give me instructions on how I'm supposed to live my life, um, I'm going to have to really do a whole lot of digging through a lot of other stuff to actually find that. Okay, well, if, if that's the case, then, then how do we approach the Bible? Well, anybody remember their first job as a teenager? How much free thinking did you have on that job? None. The boss says, here's what you do, do it or get fired kind of thing. And, uh, and that's not how God treats us. God is not our boss, um, and he doesn't think we're idiots that can't figure things out for ourselves. Um, what he does is he reveals himself through all of the Scripture, communicating to us through principles, through values, um, through implications and, and ideas. 
And then he says, as you get to know me through those things, then you'll know how to walk with me. Okay? Uh, so marriage relationships, husbands and wives. Okay, husbands, did your wife give you a printed document for how you were to be her husband? Anybody? Wish that, yeah, it would be nice, you know? That would help us out a lot. Okay, the doghouse wouldn't be occupied near as much as, as it happens to be, you know. But, but, but no, that's not the case. You see, as we, as we live in relationship with one another, we start to figure out how the other person ticks and what is it they like, what is it they don't like, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And that's how we're able to walk in a harmonious partnership with them. And, and that's really what the Bible is for, is to help us to know God, to get to know him, so that we are then able to walk in a harmonious relationship with him. He's not looking for a bunch of mindless drones that are just in lockstep, you know, following point A, point B, point C, all the way through, okay? Uh, he invites us, this is what God does, this is what makes God so amazing, is that we, uh, me, as a sinner who's really blown it, uh, through salvation, through Jesus Christ, through the forgiveness of sins, he then invites us into a partnership, working alongside of him, bringing redemption into this broken world. Uh, and, and, and he treats us as uh, sons and daughters and heirs and stewards and ambassadors in his kingdom. So, uh, so here's a, just a good general uh, thing, I think if we have a slide for it, that instead of looking for rules to follow, look for ways that Jesus can rule your heart as you follow him. Okay, that's, that's what we should be doing with the Bible, and that's what we should be doing with these weird little passages like this one that we are reading. So as we read the Bible, uh, and especially in the strange and obscure passages, uh, we should ask these questions, three questions. First of all, who is God? How is he revealed to us in here? Um, what does he value? Uh, where, does all, where do I fit in with all of this? Okay, again, remember when you're reading the Bible, it's not a letter written to you, but it was a letter written to somebody else. And what we're doing is we're looking over the shoulders of the original audience. So we have to figure out, well, what was happening in that time, in that culture, in that context of history, in that context of biblical uh, understanding and, and, and all of those sort of things. And, and that's really our job. We're to rightly divide uh, the word of truth, so to speak. And as we go through this series, we're going to be giving you clues on how you can do just that. All right. So here's, here's one of the first things to do when we're reading uh, obscure stuff in the Bible. You've got to make 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 your overarching approach to Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 uh, through 17. And there it is. You can see it up there on the screen. All Scripture. Some versions say every Scripture. There's no difference between every and all. It's talking about every single bit of Genesis all the way through Revelation, everything in between, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman, that's a generic word in there in the original language, that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. 
And I'm going to translate that complete and, uh, and, and equipped for every good work into um, walking in a harmonious relationship with God. Because that's really what that looks like. That's really what that means there, all right? So if you look carefully at that passage, you'll see two things that God's Word is. Two things that the Bible is. It's God-breathed or inspired. What that means is when you're reading this stuff, you're not reading something that man decided to write down, but something that God breathed into men to record and to write down. That means the stuff that we're reading is sourced in God, and his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So when you read something like, when someone slaps you on the cheek, offer him the other cheek. That's, that's how God thinks, Right? This is how Nick Rambo thinks. If somebody punches you in the face, you punch him back twice as hard so that he can't punch you again, right? <laughs> so we shouldn't be surprised that when we read God's word that we're going to find stuff that we're like, what? wait a minute. Uh, because again, it's sourced in God. It's not sourced in us. Hey, if we wrote the Bible, we'd be the heroes, right? <laughs> but because we didn't write the Bible, it's constantly telling the truth about us and uh, our need for salvation. Okay, the second thing that God's word is, is it's profitable or useful. Okay, it's good for us. There's something good in what we're reading here. Now I'm looking back at First Chronicles, I'm like, what is the good that's, that's in this thing? Well, we'll, we'll figure it out. But, well, it's, it's profitable or it's useful, but then it tells us what it's profitable or useful for. So the next thing we know about the Bible is four things that the Bible does. Four things that the Bible does. And when I first read this, I thought, why does God repeat himself? Because isn't teaching, reproof, correction, and training pretty much the same thing? Right? No, it's not. Uh, the nuances in the original language uh, make these words quite different. In fact, the structure of how Paul arranged these words, how God gave this to Paul to arrange these words, it's kind of like a stair step. And the top of the stairs is being uh, able to walk in a perfectly harmonious relationship, partnership with God. Okay, and, there's, uh, and, and there's two things that are going to help us to do that. It's God's word, inspired, breathed out to us, and it's useful for these four things. And so step number one, I wish I had stairs up here. Step number one <laughs> uh, is teaching. That's where you begin. What is the Bible teaching me? And, and teaching is, well, this is where you deliver principles for living, right? Not rules, but principles for how we ought to live. For example, here's a principle. Definitely from the mind of God. Love your enemies. Again, I'm not naturally wired to do that. It's not my habit to love my enemies, but I read the Bible and it gives that principle to me that says whoever is opposed to me, whoever is not my friend, whoever's maybe hurtful towards me or things like that, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to love them. Okay, there's that principle. Then you go up to step number two, and that's reproof. Okay? Reproof or rebuke is basically, well, conviction. And conviction can go two ways. Uh, it can go to, uh, hey, I'm not loving my enemy. The Bible's profitable for that, useful for that. It shows me where I'm falling short of the mark. Or if I am loving my enemies, the Bible can also affirm that, hey, I'm, I'm actually walking in the way that God would have me walk. I'm walking in accordance to his will. So that's step number two. But don't stop there because we're not actually going to gain anything unless we go up to the third step. And the third step is correction. And here's where the Bible gives us practical ways 
to live out the principle. Okay, and again, not so much in uh, straightforward instruction. You'll find some, but not very many. Uh, so again, we have to really learn, well, what's the heart of God in this? Now, when Jesus said, love your enemies, didn't, didn't he exemplify that to us? What it looks like to love your enemies? Because he loved us when we were enemies and we were opposed to God. He, he, he loved the people that were putting him on the cross. He, he loved Pilate, even when Pilate was vastly. He even loved Judas when Judas was kissing him on the cheek, betraying him, right? Okay. No, no step one, step two. It's just here's the principles being displayed before us. All right, now let's, let's practice this. Um, does the Bible say anything about ways to love your enemy? Can, can you think of some things that the Bible says that maybe we ought to do for our enemy? This is an audience participation. Yes, Antonia. Okay, the Good Samaritan. Yeah, there you go. Drop all those barriers and things like that and just take care of people. Okay, forget what the world tells you. Do what you're supposed to do. Okay, anything else you can think of that you can do for an enemy? Yes, Kyle. Okay, patience. Forgive your enemies. Okay, be patient towards your enemy. Can you think of any others? Okay, go the extra mile. Okay, uh, don't just give them what you think is sufficient. Give them more. Joey. Okay, yeah, there's a direct instruction that we get that we can throw in there. Pray for those who persecute you or who mistreat you. Okay, forgive their offenses, things like that. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him some to drink, you know, things like that. And, you know, so then we, you know, if, if, if the Bible were just straightforward instruction and we have somebody opposed to us and uh, we're like, okay, well, they don't look hungry, so I don't have to do that. Okay, then we're not living what the Bible's saying, see? So what the principle behind that is, is if your enemy has some kind of a need, meet that need. Show kindness to them, okay? Uh, step in it. So you see how that works? Uh, but we have to go on beyond correction, and that's training, okay? Training is basically where you systematically and holistically repeat the process until it becomes a habit, Okay? We understand training. If you're in sports, you understand what training is. If you go into a new job, you know what training is. Uh, if, you're in, uh, if you're a musician, you know that rehearsals and practices aren't do it until you get it right. It's do it until you don't get it wrong. Kind of thing, right? So when I was in eighth grade, I was in track. Believe it or not, my body's changed a lot since I was an eighth grader. And uh, um, my coach comes up to me, and he says, I'd like you to run high hurdles. Okay, now I'm not tall. And I'm not long-legged, you know, but, but I was fast then. And, and, and I'm like, he only wanted me to run high hurdles because he wanted an eighth grader running high hurdles. Eighth graders didn't normally run high hurdles. So, you know, but I'm an eighth grader, so I'm an idiot. My frontal lobe hasn't completely developed. And I said, okay, coach, sign me up. Let's go. And, uh, yeah, I found out real quick that, um, yeah, hurdling was not good for me. <laughs> I, I didn't jump hurdles. I just knocked them over kind of thing. And uh, so he says, all right, we're going to try, we're going to try something else. And, and, and then he put me into sprints and things like that. And, uh, and I, I, I'd start off, and, but everybody would pass me up. And so the coach says, all right, I've been watching you, Rombo. Here's the deal. When you come up out of the blocks, you pop up too soon. You've got to stay low. 
All right, so I'm like, okay, simple instructions, let's, let's go do that. I, I couldn't do it. My, it was just natural for my body to boom, come out and then, and then run, and that slowed me down. So he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to train you until you get this right. And uh, so he found a couple of posts up by the school, up by West Junior High there, West Middle School, and uh, those posts were about, uh, I don't know, about yay high or so, and he put a two-by-four across the top of those, and then he measured out the, uh, measured out the starting blocks and then he'd tell me to get in the blocks and then he'd blow the whistle and I was supposed to go. And I was supposed to go under the two by four. Now y'all see what's coming, right? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea how many times, I mean the first time that two by four hit me right there. I was so glad he didn't like screw it down or something, you know. Um, and I knocked that thing off, and he said, do it again, and again, and, you know, and then after I was just tired of running into that thing, he'd say, all right, come back tomorrow, and we'll, we'll start over, and, uh, and then I had dreaded the whole day, just, you know, that's what I had to look forward to, is running into that stupid two-by-four, <laughs> and finally, uh, you know, it, I got to the point where it was hitting me about right there. <laughs> Now, that'll give you a little bit of incentive, right? And uh, so I got in the blocks, he blew the whistle, and I took off running, and, uh, and I, I was just scooting along, and all of a sudden I noticed something. I never hit the board. And I stopped and turned around, and the board was still there. See, that's what training is, is it conditions you uh, to do something that isn't your habit, and it gives you a new habit. So God's word is given to us to get us to that point. Uh, this is when we're walking harmoniously with God, um, is, is when we've developed the habit of loving our enemies without even thinking about it, without even thinking about what we have to do, and applying the other principles of Scripture that, that he gives to us. So please understand that every single one of us are in the process of developing our theology. Okay, we, we, ha we have not got there yet, um, but God is using his word to help us understand him better so that we then know how to walk alongside him. All right, so uh, let me go back uh, to Chronicles. When the, when the Philistines stole the ark, they threw it on an ox cart and hauled it off. And so David did the same thing. He followed what the world was doing, assuming that it was good and right in the sight of everybody else. And so he goes and he gets an ox cart, all right? And, and this is part of what we're going, okay, well, that's something I can learn from there is if David really messed things up, then I, I need to ask myself, well, how am I living as a Christian? How are we functioning as a church? Are we, are we just doing what we think is the right way to do things, the best way to do things? Or, or, or maybe you know, are we actually mimicking what the world does and says this will be the way that we ought to do it? Because that's, that's kind of what David did there. Well, when we go back to 1 Chronicles, I'm going to skip 14 because it really doesn't, 14 is just kind of a gap chapter um, that covers other things that David's doing. And I want to go to chapter 15, and I, I don't want to read the whole thing because I, I really don't have that much time. So I'm, I'm going to go to verse 13 and start reading there. I think you have it up on the screen. So in the gap time between this horrible failure that cost a man his life, and then it paralyzed David and made him mad at God and made him afraid of God and all those sort of things, apparently God had been working in David to, to get that straightened out. And uh, during that gap time, it's safe to assume 
based on what we're going to read here, that David picked up the Torah. And he spent some time reading the Torah, and he was in the really boring stuff in the Torah, you know, Exodus 25, a whole bunch of instructions about how to build holy furniture. You know, you put rings on the side, and then you put a case of poles through the rings and things like that. And we're like, why am I reading this? How am I? Oh, these are the worst morning devotions I've ever had. Kind of thing. But David's doing that, and he continues on beyond that, and he gets into the book of Numbers. Holy cow, Numbers. <clears throat> I mean, that's a grind. You know, it's almost as bad as Leviticus. <laughs> and, and, but then it picks up after a while. But he's in that, he's in that really kind of dumb part where, okay, the sons of Levi, Kohath, Merari, and I forgot the third guy's name. You're supposed to do this, this, and that. And, and then suddenly something clicks, and David sees what he missed when he first tried to move the ark. So he calls all the, he assembles the Israelites back together. He says, Levites, up front, get up front here. And then he says this in verse 13 of chapter 15. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord broke out in anger against us. Now, he's not blaming the Levites. You know, you guys should have been. No. <laughs> he says, no, it's because we didn't put you up there. We threw the ark on, a, on an ox cart. You know, we made sure it was a brand new one. It was better than the Philistines, but it, it should have been you guys, not the ox cart carrying that. And even, even here, David's not specific because he really should be saying it was because you, the Kohathites, uh, the sons of Levi, who were assigned uh, to carry the ark, did not carry the ark, but he's kind of using a general blanket with a, a statement with the, the Levites there. And then look what else he says in the end of verse 13. We did not inquire of him, God, about how to do it the prescribed way. Okay, we, we messed up there. We didn't look ahead to see if God had anything to say about how we haul his furniture around. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. They went back to Obed-Edom's house, and they, they got the ark. In verse 15, the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. Do you see how the Bible is useful? because David just kind of doing things the way that everybody else thought it should be done, or maybe the way the world does it, or things like that, it ended up in costing a man his life. And we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, I want to show you Numbers 4, verse 15. Number 4, yeah, there it is. Uh, doing it in accordance to the word of, the God, uh, of God. After Aaron and his sons, and believe me, Numbers 4 is not fun reading. Uh, after Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and the holy articles, and this would include the Ark of the Covenant, and, and when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohathites to come and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. Okay? Electricity is a good thing, right? Anybody ever got shocked by electric, uh, electricity okay. and lived to tell us about it? Okay. Uh, my son took a really heavy uh, jolt on a job one day, and he's lucky. Well, well not lucky. <laughs> as his, uh, as his uh, primary physician said to him, you've got someone watching out for you. <laughs> but he took, uh, he took a pretty big hit out of that. Um, do we curse the electricity for doing what electricity does? 
Do we get mad because we have electricity, because it bites us once in a while? No, of course, that's just silly. So I just use that as an illustration that when we're talking about God's holiness and the things that God has deigned as the holy things, and if you think about it, the Ark of the Covenant, where the very presence of God dwelt over in the midst of his people, that you're probably not going to find a more tangible holy article than that one. And God very clearly said in his word, no touchy. And because they didn't deign, I guess, to look into God's word for how they ought to walk with him and how they ought to transport the ark, it, it cost a man his life. And we shouldn't be mad at God because he's holy. We should recognize that the fault lies in us, that we weren't careful with what we were handling. Handle with care. Exodus 25 gives detailed instructions for how those holy things, those articles in the tabernacle that they had to pack up and move quite often as the Israelites were going from uh, Mount Sinai into the Promised Land. And it specified that acacia poles were to be used and the ark was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the sons of Levi, the Kohathites, and that the reason they carried them that way is so that you would not touch God's holy furniture. All right, so we've learned something, right? But we don't read the Bible just to fill our head, right? Um, when we read the Bible, we should, we should hope and we should ask God, we should pray to God that he's going to do a transforming work in how we think with our knowledge, uh, a transforming work in our hearts with our desires, and also a, 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 a life-transforming work in our behavior and, and how we live our lives. So how does all this come into play with uh, this passage? Well, remember three questions to ask. Who is God? Who is God? And when we read uh, what David read and what David experienced there, the Lord Almighty is who God is, and he is deserving of the utmost of our respect and our worship. We cannot give him any less and David and the ox cart and Uzzah were giving him less. We're giving him less. Uh, we, uh, we, we learn, well, what does God value here? Well, God values holiness. He values his holiness, and he values our holiness. He values our holiness so much that when we were yet sinners, he demonstrated his love towards us by having his son die on a cross in our place so that we could be holy once again. That's how much God values holiness enough to go to a cross in our place. Now, Jesus, he's a really friendly guy, isn't he? He's a nice dude, okay? Always very kind and gentle towards people. Went to the mis misfits and the outcasts and lifted them up and made them belong and, and things like that. If people had a need, his, his first response is, is, what would you like me to do for you? Right? I mean, people don't do that much anymore. And, but that's God. God in the flesh. Come, what would you, what can I do for you? Okay? And they tell him, and he says, all right, I'll help you out here. We like Jesus. Nice guy. But isn't there one time when Jesus kind of flew off the handle a little bit? Came into the temple, looked around, went and stayed at 
Mary and Martha and Lazarus' place for a while in Bethany came back the next morning and ripped the temple up, flipping tables over, driving out the animals. And I didn't do any harm to any, any beings or any creatures. In fact, when he got to where the, the doves were set, uh, he didn't flip that table. He said, release them. Maybe he was thinking about the sacrifice his mom had to make after his birth for her cleansing. And he said, you've turned my father's house, which is to be a place of prayer for all the nations, not just the Jews, but for the whole world, into a common marketplace. I think Jesus was justified in his anger because he was defending his father's holiness. That's how much God values holiness. Yet he'll flip tables over if we're treating his things as common. So where do I fit in with all of this? Well, do I treat the things that God considers holy? Do I, do I handle those things with care? You know, his name, am I careful with God's name? Uh, his word, Am I, am I being careful as I, as I go into God's Word? Am I caring enough to get into His Word and to read and to dig in and to find out more about who He is? God's Spirit is holy. Am I grieving the Spirit? Am I resisting the Spirit? Things that uh, the epistles tell us that we can do. How about the Sabbath? Keep the Sabbath holy. I live in a culture that's go, 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 go all the time. Am I ever just stopping and setting a day aside to say, no, I'm just, this is just me and God just enjoying our, our, each other's presence today. There's a reason he made that day. The, the seventh day is going to be an eternal day at some point. I've done many weddings and, you know, said the official stuff as the officiant, you know, and talked about entering into holy matrimony. Do we treat marriage as holy? If we do, then why do Christians have as high a divorce rate as the rest of the world? Sorry, didn't mean to throw a rock out there, but it's just a question I have to ask. And then we have been made into a holy priesthood through Jesus Christ. How do we treat each other? Because you're now hagios, holy ones, saints. I like that one. You get to be Saint Nick. But do, do we treat each other as God's holy children? Are we handling things with care? See, that's, that's what this obscure passage uh, begins to say to us. So let's pray, and then the worship team's going to come up here, and then we'll close with a benediction. Father, your name is holy. And I will be the first to confess that I don't treat it as such. Lord, I can't think of a single thing that you've given to us that in some way you have not consecrated through the blood of Jesus to, to make it holy. So, Lord, we, we just come to you in repentance uh, for the times that we've reached out to touch the ark. And God... Uh, 
we drifted from your word and then we wondered how could we get so far away from what your will is for us. Lord, would you draw us back into your word and would you make us not shy away from the, the weird and the obscure passages, but to dig in and to keep seeking you and to keep pursuing you that we might know you and know what you value and, 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 and know how, how we fit in with all of that so that we can be taught, that we can be rebuked, that we can be corrected, that we can be trained until it becomes a habit in our lives to just walk harmoniously alongside of you. Lord, would you do that so that your kingdom would increase and so that the name of our Savior and our Lord, that your name would be honored and revered, respected, and glorified, if not by the rest of the world, starting with us. God, may that happen. Uh, we pray in the name of our one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all. 
place today. Uh, go in the words of the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Grace and peace, common ground. Have a wonderful week.